we began the, uh, the Sashin on Friday, and um, on Friday we talked about uh, Friday the 18th, Awakening the Heart, and I'm just going to repeat that quote that we had that day. Um, there is nothing more dominant than the true nature of life. Our bodies, physically and spiritually, are a part of that very nature. Therefore, awakening to the challenges of race, sexuality, and gender begins in the body where we struggle. Awakening is to open our hearts wide enough to see the perfection and the tensions as the path to liberation. And we talked about opening and awakening our hearts. And then um, yesterday, Saturday the 19th, this was the quote. Oneness is itself. We are not one in the sense of each other. We are one in the oneness. We do not create diversity. It already is. And therefore, when we speak of race, sexuality, and gender, we are speaking of the natural multiplicity of oneness, constructed or otherwise. When we ignore the systemic suffering and unacceptable differences between us, we ignore the oneness. And so that was uh, yesterday we talked about that. And uh, these quotes are coming from um, the book that I uh, recently wrote called The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender um, that was graciously published by um, Wisdom Publications. Um, so today, um, I want to talk about, uh, again, a little bit about the body and its location as um, the location for awakening. Um, oftentimes we think, we feel that that uh, awakening is outside of ourselves, out somewhere. It's just going to, we're going to awaken, something's going to hit us while we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden we'll be awake. And um, that's a, a, a very nice uh, vision. Um, but doesn't always happen. So um, I'm looking for the quote I want to do today um, that I feel will work for that. Let's see. Um, okay, I think I might be changing quotes. <laughs> um, hmm, that's interesting. I think I brought the wrong piece of paper. So. Yeah, here it is. So um, I always see the body as that place in which uh, we uh, have received our inheritance, um, our birth, um, the place in which we inherited uh, nature. And that's what we did. We came through, we became form, and we were inherited, given our inheritance. And um, maybe celebrated, maybe not in some of our births, but hopefully we were all celebrated uh, our lives as we came through. And so uh, in this inheritance of nature, we inherit the earth, uh, we inherit the water, and we inherit the fire, and, and the air. So we inherit all these elements, you know, as uh, medicine for our lives. It's all right there. And um, the practice is uh, to really in consider these as part of your life um, and consider the, um, 
the earth and water and fire and air as accessible to your life and um, to your body and to how you live and, and even maybe how you will die. You know, it's important. So um, sometimes in our, in our incarnations, uh, there we label some incarnations superior and some inferior, even though they are all part of nature. And um, this is, we talked about Saturday, I mean, maybe it was Friday, distortions of the identity. So when we began to label these wonderful inheritances that we've had uh, as superior uh, or inferior, and we may feel that way about it ourselves, or others may feel that way about us. Uh, and um, these are distortions of our identities. And, um, but that it doesn't mean that our identities are uh, not important. Actually, they're more important if we're going to really be looking at delusions and distortions and constructions and whatever have you around who we are. So it's important to look at that. So this is the, uh, the quote that I want to do for today. We do not see our bodies when we do not see our bodies as all bodies, we become prone to hatred. We turn away from our ever-present true interrelationship. So when we do not see our bodies as all bodies, we become more prone to hatred. We turn away from our ever-present true interrelationship. So some of us say, well, yeah, that's, that's what I believe. You know, I believe that, you know, I am you and you are me. I've heard of that before, you know. Uh, <laughs> or, um, yeah, I, you know, my body's your body. We're all bodies. We're all humans. And even in my book, I discussed that even that phrase, we are all humans, um, uh, somehow uh, falls short when we don't consider um, other living things and, and other uh, relationships in the world. We still are, are kind of um, leaning toward that superiority, you know, even in the we are all humans. It sounds wonderful, but there are some things in there that we need to look at as well. And what does that mean, you know, when we say we're all humans and, you know, uh, we're all bodies. We're all have blood running through us and muscles and eyes. We're all born and we all will die. And um, these are just definitely universal truths. But it, it tends not to play itself out in the real world, and that's what, uh, why we suffer sometimes. So, uh, so there's been this campaign about um, uh, Black Lives Matter, right? Black Lives Matter. So say, Black Bodies Matter. You can even throw that word in there, Black Bodies Matter. And um, so how does that fit into when we do not see our bodies as all bodies? So some people see that uh, all black lives matter as uh, black lives matter only, or um, you know, um, black, why we're talking about black lives when it should be all lives matter, because we do, when we do not see our bodies as all bodies, there's a problem, right? So I see it all bodies, you know, that's the absolute truth in thinking, all bodies. So why are we promoting, you know, or talking or chanting 
you know, Black Lives Matter. You know, why, why would that be singled out? You know, why? N of course, some of you will say, well, yes, because there's been a lot of killings. There's been a lot of brutalities lately. But maybe it's been that way all along, and now we're hearing more about it. You know, it's more intense. But the piece of this quote that's most important is, when we do not see our bodies as all bodies, we become more prone to hatred. So the, this, the hatred part that comes in, and the superiority, and the inferiority, and the reason why a campaign like Black Lives Matter exists, why it says Black Lives Matter, because there is a direct, obvious experience of hatred, obvious experience of what's superior and what's inferior in terms of bodies. So it is the truth that our bodies are all bodies, like all bodies. But when hatred or discrimination or turning away or mistreatment, prolonged mistreatment, becomes the, the uh, target of particular people, then, then that's why uh, that whole absolute truth is called into its integrity among us. The absolute truth exists anyway, as I've been saying the whole time. Yes, we are all bodies, like all bodies together. But because of the suffering, we, we must look at how we suffer, even though we have this absolute collective existence as people, as animals, as part of the earth, as water, as fire, you know. What is this incarnation? And um, how do we uh, make peace with that you know, incarnation, each one of us? How do we make peace with that so that we really can experience all lives matter, like truly experience it? You know? So all Black Lives Matter has even evolved itself to all, all Black Trans Lives Matter. <laughs> I've been to a march like that. So it just keeps evolving to these places. Why that? Why, why transgender? Because there's been hatred and murder against it. When the hatred piece comes into play, then the, the call and the campaign and the chant must be awakened to and heard and acknowledged and recognized so that we are awakened to what, what is really around us and happening around us. So I'm going to read the quote again. We do not see our bodies as all bodies. We become more prone to hatred. When we do not see our bodies as all bodies, we become more prone to hatred. We turn away from our ever-present true interrelationship. So um, one of the pieces in uh, coming to our true interrelationship also is um, and really developing an intimacy with each other. And this Zen practice, as I've been talking about, does that. Uh, as we sit and we breathe together, we, we're sitting closely together, eating silently together. And this can be very uncomfortable uh, to be intimate with those you don't know or to be intimate with those who may have uh, caused suffering uh, for you in, in your eyes and in your mind and your experience. And so it becomes uh, 
to me, the very place in which we need to continue doing what we're doing and to speak about it and to acknowledge it in, in the room and to bring it, um, even if we don't acknowledge it in the room, to at least bring it to ourselves when we're illuminating our own lives because it is a collective life. So we're having an individual experience in a collective life. We all know this one, but we rarely understand it. So some of the uh, principles of uh, Zen and, and Buddhism sound very simple. You know, just meditate. Meditate on it. Sounds very simple, but it's very difficult, right? It's not an easy thing to do. And so um, I, I'd like you to consider some of the absolute <coughs> teachings that we have as not as simple as they sound. They're not as simple as they sound. Oneness, harmony, you know, love, loving kindness. You know, all of these things sound good, but we have to work toward them in a way, not work on them and trying to be it. So if we try to be kind and try to be loving it in word making that happen, it can come off as um, not sincere or, you know, smiling all the time, but it's not real inside. So because the loving kindness is inside, you can't really see it. That's, it's absolute. It's unseen. It's something that is um, created not um, by us, but already existing in our experience of life. And so we're kind of coming to that. Um, when we turn away from um, uh, our true interrelationship, you know, by um, introducing superiority and inferiority, um, that's where we begin to uh, break away from the intimacy that already exists that we have when we come into the world. We already have an intimacy with people. And then something happens, and for some of us, it may happen at two months. Oh, you could break intimacy with other people, depending on what happens to you, you know, when you come into the world. And then some, it may happen when you're, you know, four years old or eight years old, which for me was around eight years old, uh, going to a uh, desegregated school and, um, and, and noticing that um, I first had come from an all-black school to a desegregated school. And um, it was a shock to find out that um, I could not visit my friend, who I had made a friend. Her name was Rosalind. And she was Jewish and white, and we became friends. And uh, she lived um, one block from my house. And so we had moved into a new neighborhood. Therefore, I was going to a new school, you know, which I had no idea was about to happen to me. And she lived one block. And so we were friends at school. And finally, uh, we decided we needed to, you know, get together on the weekend and play, right? How kids do. Especially since we would walk home sometimes, and she would stop right there, and I would go on to the next block. Uh, so my mother um, <coughs> told me, I said, can I go over Rosalind's house? You know? And she's like, um, you know, no. Because she already. I guess had known about this. She said, no, you can't go. And I said, why? And she said, um, because the maid told me you can't go. You know, their black maid told my mother, you can't go over there. And I was like looking at my mother's face and she's like, you know, you know, because you know, <laughs> like that. And I'm like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know, 
you know, and she didn't say it, but I got really, you know, just her, her sadness and her grief that showed in her face, you know, I knew it had to be some, had to do with how I was and who I was and how I looked. And I knew, I, my mind just made the connection, black me, black mother, black me, <laughs> you know, and I, and I like, well, call them up, you know, and like, let them know I didn't do this. <laughs> you know, I really didn't make myself black. You know, this just happened. You know, I was born this way. Uh, it was really the, the first time I uh, realized that um, some of the things I had been seeing all along up to eight became clear. Like, oh, that's what was happening to mom and dad. You know, and that's, you know, when they were at the store or whatever happened to them, stories they would tell, you know, about being in Louisiana in the South. So um, I think that's when I became a complete activist at that point. And I also, because I said I felt I had to let people know this, you know, like get it, you know, really, you need to understand. And I also became um, uh, very much uh, a, a spiritual religious person very early on. So I, you know, really read the Bible and then, you know, I felt everyone should know about God and you would understand, you know, the situation, you know, so discrimination became very key to how I moved in the world. And um, in my uh, desire for people to understand, you know, uh, what has happened to all of us, you know, you're, you're confused. And I actually thought um, John F. Kennedy was going to be the savior you know, President John F. Kennedy at that time. And I, I was, um, you know, actually going around campaigning for him, like I was nine or 10 campaigning for this guy, as it sounded like in the way people were talking about he was going to save us. And, um, and then, um, of course, that didn't happen. And then around when Martin Luther King Jr. died, uh, and he was assassinated, I remember the moment, you know, I was, I was here. And, um, in high school, and not here in New York, here in, on the planet. And, uh, and I remember being in the hallway hearing about it and everybody uh, running. I was in also a white school at that time, running from me <laughs> away. Like that was their literal response. They were so afraid. And I like didn't really know what was going on. You know, then I found out that, you know, uh, Dr. King had died. And I remember the moment, and I think uh, even still today, uh, many um, people of African descent my age are still recovering from that moment. Because at that moment, we, we felt doomed that there was going to be nobody. There wasn't any Kennedys and no Martin Luther King. And um, I don't quite know. Malcolm X was being uh, uh, considered a taboo, you know, although I did enjoy his speeches, some of them. but. Uh, it was the moment that I um, began to, uh, to realize that, um, that it, it is all of our work as people to, um, to bring uh, and to continue that work that King talked about. He always talked about spirit and action and to bring those things together that we couldn't just sit in church. You know, so in my church that I came from, we didn't just sit and read the Bible and sing. I know that sounds like how black churches went, but in the 60s, the, the Black Panthers were in our church, came to our church. We have the Black Panthers. We talked about uh, migration. Uh, people who came up from the South were helped. They were saved. As soon as they came up, we saved them. 
you know. So it was very much an engaged Christianity, not just singing and having a good time in church and clapping, which is what you see most com mostly conveyed on, in movies. But black churches were uh, refuges, you know, a refuge for those who wanted to be free and still can be that for some, but it, that's what it was, because people needed to be free as we come into this place as a refuge, a Zen center as a refuge. And so in this refuge, we must bring everything, you know, all of us, and we must see these things that we struggle with and talk about them and have dialogue about them with our teachers, with each other, and, and consider, you know, I ask you to consider the, the path of this embodiment as the path of awakening. This path of embodiment as the path of awakening. And when it gets hard, and a lot of people ask me like, well, what do you do when it gets hard for you, when, it got, when, a, when, when things happen to you? And um, I, uh, you know, was really, the question was a big question to me, but I realized that I had developed a practice in dealing with, um, you know, hatred acts, acts of hatred, uh, and um, as as I develop my my meditation practice, uh, Zen training, and and everything, I began to uh, actually use my breath, use my water, use my fire, use the earth uh, within me to have, uh, to, uh, to sustain the liberation I was I know I already had so we already have liberation we are it's already the freedom is there and and to access you know from there and I knew it was and so I began to learn how to leave the the racist act sexist act whatever act with that person you know and to it for some people maybe they need an engagement from me mostly that was not true in the world because if I went along every day dealing with everything, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I think I probably already would have had a stroke by now, you know, trying to deal with it all. You know, super hyper, I call it hyper hypertension. We don't have hypertension, we have hyper hyper hypertension, <laughs> you know. So I um, would, uh, had, knew I wanted to live. You know, I want to live and I want to breathe. And, um, and I, so I wanted to share this with you before we go into questions and, um, and dialogue was to share this sort of chant I have, um, and it's called I Can Breathe, you know, a meditation um, for when you're facing acts of hatred. And so uh, I wrote it thinking about Eric Garner and when he got um, choked. And um, I know a lot of the black men got shot, but the choking one was intense for me, probably because I was a meditation teacher, or a Dharma teacher, rather. I like to say rather than meditation teacher, because it's more than meditation. And um, just the thought of life being strangled out of a, of a man that was 395 pounds. Well, how much hate that took and strength that took to take that life. And, um, and then the mantra, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, began to uh, grow. And I began to feel like I couldn't breathe either. 
And, um, but I said, but I want to live, as I just told you, I want to live. And um, so that mantra uh, cannot be the mantra for me alone. You know, I understand I can't breathe, and I understand I can breathe, I can breathe. And it's both, you know. And so I um, shared this with some people, and I want to share it with you. It's really brand new, fresh off the press. So, <laughs> and I thought it would help us do this work together and um, to breathe together and to um, acknowledge where we are as, as, as people, as, a, as a, uh, a living sentient being, you know, where we are today in this world. So I'll say one line and then you'll, um, you'll follow that line if you, if you like to. And if you just want to listen to it, you can, you know. So, so. I don't want forcing words into your mouth. So if it doesn't sound, that's why I say it first. You don't want to say that line. You don't have to. So it's I can breathe. You don't have to follow this. <laughs> I can breathe a meditation on surviving acts of hatred. OK, so here we go. And this is in memory of Eric Garner. So may I come back to this body. May I come back to this breath. May I come to know this body as the earth itself. May I breathe myself back home. And once again, be introduced to this great life. May the great light of this earth, surround me. May I be released from past harm and imposed hatred. May I come to recognize my existence in the true nature of life. May I come back to this, to this breath, to this body, as the sacred place in which I remain, awake and connected to the fragrance and taste of liberation. May I remain visible on the path of spirit, and be seen, and heard. May love given be returned tenfold. May awakening be known in this body at this time. And when I can't breathe, May I breathe in the next moment. May I say, I can breathe. So let's just sit a little bit silently with that.
So thank you for sharing with me that um, meditation chant. I hope you are continuing to breathe. And one of the um, the breath uh, practices I use is when I breathe in, I extend my belly rather than bring it in. So when you inhale, extending the belly. And then when you exhale, let it through as if it's coming through your chest. So I'd like all of us to just try that right now. And put your hand here so you know that your belly is being pushed out. This is a, we're in a hold it in culture, hold the belly in, but we're going to do opposite and hold it out, push it out. So you breathe it, inhale, and push your belly out, and then exhale through the chest. And so you're breathing in again, pushing the belly out, exhaling through the chest. And do that one more time on your own rhythm. Then I want you to take an inhale and just hold the breath. I want you to just go, and your belly's out, and you're just holding it. Notice if your chest is really tight or not. That's where we hold it, where the ribs are like, we don't breathe, so they kind of <laughs> come together. So we're trying to expand them. So notice how, if that's really painful, if it is, then you need to kind of maybe practice this more often of letting the air into your chest and moving your ribcage, you know, allowing these rigid bones to be with the flexibility of the muscle. So we have the rigidity and we have the flexibility all in one place. What an amazing body. <laughs> what an amazing gift. What an amazing <coughs> inheritance more than any million dollars you'll ever receive. Okay. So, are there any questions or um, points of dialogue or share, <coughs> any sharing <coughs> from this tender place we're at? this tenderness. Also, just notice how the tenderness um, brings you away from 
even though we talked about race, sex, race, sex, duality, and gender, that um, we're still, we're not having that anxiety that our head brings and the fear that our head brings. But in our heart, we know that it's all right, you know, in this place, in this tender place. I want to pass that around to folks here. And we're all right. I actually allowed my practice to be uh, my place of grief ceremony. <laughs> it's a grief ceremony, you know, to actually feel all those things we um, don't have time to feel. We're running around getting ready for work, and sometimes we're even running to the zendo, you know. <laughs> no time to feel even the sitting, you know. So. Allowing the tenderness to come up from the, through the body and our compassion to come up through the body. Uh, allowing um, our bodies to uh, teach us rather than our minds grabbing onto um, the five aggregates, the four noble truths, the two truths, the <laughs> tenfold path. You know. Eightfold path. Yes. Got a question? Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. The question is just we've been sitting for three days, you know. Um, and so, in a way, we prepared ourselves to do a mantra like that. Yes, exactly. Um, have you shared it in other spaces? And what would you advise? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have big, yeah, and, and copies are available. Maybe copies could be made for the Sashin participants. Um, I have shared it once since I've been here in New York. Um, I feel that uh, definitely this is uh, a deeper experience of sharing it because you have, many of you have been sitting for three days. And this is what is the importance of the sitting and what it does and the tenderness that it brings. Um, so some people are waiting for things to happen, but you would have never known this would happen, right, inside you until it happened. And that's, that's how I've experienced my Zen practice. I'm always like surprised where it, it takes me and where um, I'm going to go or not go even, you know. So uh, yes, I think our, our sitting has been the container for this and um, why I felt intuited to be this is a good time maybe to um, bring this to us and, um, and to uh, share it uh, as a collective, uh, very short healing experience, you know. It's, it's very short, and we did it together, you know, together around things that are very sensitive and hard for us.
Well, the healing would be personal, you know, so I can't describe that for you around healing uh, sexuality or healing um, places in which we can't truly be who we are, no matter what it is. And, um, and it's, for me, it, it's been difficult to be, and it's because we're in a society that it's un the unacceptable difference. You know, um, so that's where I became really aware of unacceptable differences too, not only in race. So a lot of people, when I talk about race, sexuality, and gender, they go, it's really about race for you, isn't it? Really about race, you know, only. And um, I could say a lot of it is, that's why I list it first. And I notice different authors list different things first when they're doing race, sexuality, and gender. They'll go gender, or they'll go class, race, you know, something like that, whatever it is for them. And so I listed mine that way um, because, well, it was race. And then even within my own uh, community of people of African descent, um, I felt pain and injury for, you know, having uh, relationships with a woman, you know, in my family. So I felt that, um, that, that I couldn't be I couldn't just only talk about liberation and race because it, it crossed over. Now, when I go to uh, various uh, places, they'll have a, a, maybe a people of color or a queer group, and I go to the people of color and find that most of the people of color who are queer go to the people of color because the queer groups usually are predominantly white again, and then, uh, there's the, then we're dealing with the racism again. So it gets very confusing you know, to split oneself up, you know, into all of these different places. And uh, I was talking to some people about gender that that tends to um, fall away for, from me because the discussion is not so much in the way um, the feminist agenda has been placed a lot of times. I agree with the feminist agenda, the womanist agenda as well, but sometimes when they're talking about rage, equality, uh, wages, like right now, wages being equal, when we don't even have jobs, you know, most black women. So it just does, it like not seen, seen as a woman, you know, just seen as black or seen as really black women aren't even, sometimes I talk about that in the book when race is spoken of, it's usually about black men. Um, when queer is talked about, it's, it's usually about, or sexuality really is talked about queer or gay men. Or when it's, you know, um, genders, white women, and um, class, it's the wealthy, you know, it's never the poor, you know. It's interesting how these, even though we've created some of these categories to talk about some of the, the situations, um, they're still focused on uh, who's been allowed to speak out most about the situations. And that's who gets the, becomes the poster child of that particular situation. I think for me, the way I did it was to, um, to be, I really felt I couldn't 
hide anymore, you know, and maybe you've come to that, um, because hiding was uh, just as painful <coughs> as coming out. Although I found out that coming out just continues and continu it doesn't end, so you have to be ready to come out like a hundred times, you know, to people. And, um, you know, when I wrote the book, I was like, oh no, you know, I told my partner, it's in writing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, oh my God, she's a lesbian, like I was telling everybody else, you know, like, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, because I do feel I have a bisexual orientation, but I have been. Um, with men and loved them and have had great relationships. So my transition has always uh, been good uh, in that sense personally. And, um, and so now I, I saw the next title someone gave me was Bisexual Lesbian. Like I was talking about that, but that was <laughs> very interesting, you know. <laughs> so, and then the bisexuality is just interesting how people uh, look at that. And I've been in a relationship for more 15, 16 years with a woman. So I don't know what people think about that. I know what it means for me. So you have to define for yourself really what it is, walk in it and what it is. Is that your truth? If it's your truth, if it's not, you're going to struggle. You're going to really struggle. So I have to really keep asking myself, is this my truth? Is this my truth? Is this my truth? You know, on, and I still can ask myself if this is my truth. I still can ask that. It does, nothing set in stone. Nothing. And so I can still ask that, you know. I mean, you know, Billie Jean King did it, didn't she? was lesbian and then she got married and it was like, oh my God. You know, everybody was really upset with that, you know. <laughs> and I was, it was interesting to watch the, you know, how people were living their lives through her, you know. And she was living her own life. Oh, <laughs> there she was. She had her own life. And so, um, so it's important to name it for yourself. And when you get comfortable with you, then you'll be able to share it with others. But if you're not comfortable with you, you can't share it. And even if you do try to share it, it won't come off as something comfortable at all. And I have seen that. I have experienced it myself. And I have seen when it's not comfortable, you know, when it's not, not time. And, um, and I think it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. You know, I, I haven't really, you know, I'm still in maybe, maybe one teacher I know that's a Dharma teacher that has actually come out in a talk or in a book. And there are a lot of Dharma teachers who are queer. They're not saying, they're not saying it. So um, it's, it's a process because it's a lot to, you have to come out in so many ways, you know. And so, you know, coming out to oneself and where you're comfortable and, and seeing, is this my truth? Like you said, you don't want to hurt other people, you know? So is it your, you know, truth? And uh, I had to ask myself that because I didn't want to hurt other people either, you know, or get people all tangled up and I'm all tangled up and, but just continue to work it out. And let it go too, because sometimes we just like work it out, and then we keep working it and working it and working it, you know, to the point where it it doesn't be it just manufactured, you know, it's not um, your natural selves. And there's so much fluidity and gender and continuum is so wide, and even scientists know themselves. There's more than two genders; they just don't talk about it. They already know this, <laughs> you know. So. 
they just let us struggle with uh, struggle, act like nothing's happening. <laughs> you know, there is a continuum of this. You know, you know, and um, you know, I used to just say being queer is a gender too. <laughs> you know, they just don't know yet. You know, so you know, sometimes we we have to teach in that way by just being and teaching how we feel we are. <coughs> when you get there, it'll be easy. So keep keep the work up right here. I have to say that once I put that it got out about bisexuality, I started getting these um, uh, what emails or messages uh, from men <laughs> wanting to, to date me. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. How, how people, what people thought about that, <laughs> you know? I was like, hmm. <laughs> 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 Okay, so then I put a picture of uh, Samboala me up. <laughs> I'm in a relationship. I'm married, <laughs> pretty much. So, you know, to not what it means for me, you know, not what it means for me, who I date, who I'm dating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> going on a date. <laughs> so beyond that, it's so beyond, sexuality is so beyond the way to me it's presented, sex itself to me is such a sacred act, such a sacred act. And I've always felt that, even when I was young. I was just like, this is such a sacred place. And um, so the, the sexuality of it is a spiritual path to me. It's not about dating or same-sex marriage or any of these things, which is all great. Not saying that, it's just beyond that. It's beyond that. Uh, I, I can't really explain it in words, you know, really. I'm sure some of you might experience it that way too, maybe. And hesitant on who you meet, you know, because of that. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna. Maybe not. Maybe that's It'll help you. Be with, and you'll be with him, helping you, <laughs> helping yourself. I think he'll be happy that you helping yourself, because <laughs> he'll help him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it is nice to you know to share. When I first wrote it, I shared it with uh, Simbuela. And, and we did it together, and it just felt, it's just something that just kind of came up out of my toes, I have to say, just kind of rose up and came out, you know? And uh, it's, like I said, very fresh, and I've shared it. Um, I've shared it when back home, too, once with a group, and it was, it was powerful. It, it's, it's universal, so I think it works. 
you know, one person came to me and said, but what if you don't have imposed hatred? I said, you do. <laughs> you know, and she it happened to be a white woman and she said, I don't have imposed, I have self. And self-hatred is imposed. Um, it's internalized, so it's imposed, you know, by you, <laughs> imposed upon yourself. You know, so it is imposed. I had to sit with that when she said, I said, mm -hmm. you know, let me sit with that. And um, I think she was thinking she was free of it. <laughs> you know, we're not free of it. It is in our rate of vibration of life. I didn't see a, a hand back here. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, I'm in class. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked, you know, about white you know, he posts a lot about Black Lives Matter. And his license posts so much stuff. And, um, that's not really my question. I, I think my, my answer is it's, it helps me um, clarify things. You know, and I don't know. And, um, it doesn't really do much. From what? Uh -huh. Yes. I think I could be inconvenient too, you know, in this room maybe to someone. It could be an inconvenience. They're just not mentioning it. You don't know. And I don't really, um, you know, look to find out or ask. You know, I mean, everyone's welcome to leave, I guess. Um, but I, I do believe in speaking as I, if it's true to your heart, if it's just something you're doing to be doing and waiting for some kind of a response, then, um, then that's something else. I don't know what that is. That's not helpful to the movement or helpful to you or helpful to anybody if you're waiting for some kind of uh, particular response. As human beings, we want the best response all the time. I understand that. We want everyone to engage us. And we want to be happy <laughs> in the end after we've done the engagement. But um, you just never know. Um, and, and it's how you're speaking it as well. Is it, um, is it really uh, a, a situation you're truly intimate with? Or is it just something that sounds good for you to support? And I talked about that earlier, that most engaged 
Buddhist actions um, are uh, best uh, heard when there is an intimacy with the movement you're in. Like Thich Nhat Hanh was intimate with the Vietnamese people and Dalai Lama with the Chinese people, his own people, Tibetans, you know, Burma, these places, they were intimate with the people uh, and therefore uh, their work uh, rang sincere and genuine. And so it's important to see what, where you truly, what part of all of this you're intimate with. Yeah. Yeah. Intimate. You, you have to find, define what, what you're closer to in, in the movement. What is it about Black Lives Matter other than an out, outer? Yeah. It sounds very external, you know, t still, because it's still about the friends and the husband. You know, you have yet to have your own, uh, you know, uh, I I intimacy with it in your own heart. And maybe if you did, you be, might be as, as silent as your husband, as your black husband. You might be, you might be. I'm not saying that. There's no should. So I'm, I'm actually trying to point out whether or not you have a, a motive behind, you know, so we have to look at our motives, you know, our, our, why do we act, why do we say, you know, why do we think such things, mind, body, spirit, uh, these places in which the karma, are, uh, uh, which is action, comes from. So what is really motivating you is to, you might want to show people how you are, uh, you know, you're trying to show others something. So you have to watch out for that. And there, everybody goes, oh, God, he's trying to show us something, you know, rather than, wow, what is he really feeling and saying, you know? Because just showing people things, you know, like you Facebook, they sh the whole feed is showing somebody something, right? You know, and... Um, I think since Black Lives Matter and all the brutality that's been going, a lot of people have come off of Facebook because there's so much on it. I've heard people have. But I think that um, you can actually uh, um, bring peace to, to your post too, you know, and rather than just showing them something that may, may not even be your words, you know. I haven't posted a lot because a lot of the words aren't how I would talk about it, even though I am right there. But as a Dharma teacher, I would have to speak differently than what is being spoken and in a way that still acknowledges the rage and anger, but yet the, uh, also acknowledges I can breathe. I can't breathe, I can breathe. So when I, I did post I can breathe, and it was like, okay, they're going to get upset. She's going against the movement, you know. <laughs> but I. I did it because what motivated me to do it was because I, I wanted to create a sense on these feeds of another a place of still having that, but also being liberated in it and not um, succumb to it. Like this, all there is and nothing else. 
and there's a lot of young people feeling hopeless and helpless and that's I can't breathe is not helpful only just that only you know yes I can't breathe and yes I can breathe yes to both so you have to find, I had to find my place in there I didn't just pose oh Eric Gardner I didn't post that you know I didn't so you have to find your place so that's the intimacy finding your place in it and and um, not always bringing it up um, especially when it's already being brought up there's no really sense in me even bringing up what's art there's no sense in me writing a book about race sexuality and gender <coughs> really there's like a gazillion books on that topic but I wrote it and a lot of people think they already knew know what I wrote because they've read those other books but I tried to write something different because it didn't why waste a year of my life or to writing something that's been written so I had to come from a place from my own experience my own life to talk about these things that I was I have been reflecting on and contemplating on not just what I heard somebody say to me but I have literally set with this in my practice this is my Dharma dissertation <laughs> This is what I sat with, and this is what I came up with. So I, I could have talked about race, sexuality, and gender a long time ago from a different place, whatever that place was, say when I walked onto the path of Buddhism or Dharma. I could have talked it from that place. So, um, and even when I wrote the book, Tell Me Something About Buddhism, it's interesting, both books that I have written are things people say, I already know about that. Like, you know, people say, oh, I already know about Buddhism, so I don't need to read your book. You know, tell me something about Buddhism. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, oh. And, and I feel like I wrote another one. <laughs> I already know about race, sexuality, and gender. <laughs> I don't need to read your book, you know, <laughs> about it. So it's kind of interesting because these books have come to me. I haven't sat down and said, I'm going to write a book about this. This, this is gate, gates that have been open to me and actually didn't think anybody would want this at all just gateways and um, doorways that have opened and I walked on through them you know so you have to see whether you're um, you know kind of creating your own gateway and nobody wants to go through your gate you created and you know but just when the door is open for the dialogue and it seems like it's just hanging in the air no one's saying maybe that's the time you could talk about how you feel you know how you feel you know, not, um, or even how, you know, you know, this, this is frightening to me. I'm really frightened and, and it really, it, it's really hard when people get upset about what I'm trying to share and I'm just sitting with that. That's the real part, you know, not just keep putting it there. You know, that's, you know, the, the, the relative place, you know, of communicating and being an interrelationship because remember the core of the teaching is to be an interrelationship. So you're, we're moving, that's a, a part of the, you know, when we turn away from our ever-present true interrelationship. So you, if they're turning away, you're turning, it's, you're part of that turning away too. So you want to develop, you want to learn how to cultivate enough uh, skillful means to keep the relationship ever flowing, interrelationship ever flowing. And, and, and you're, you're you, courage to speak out and to post. I thank you for that, but to continue 
you know, to, to grow and don't think you're there just because you read it and you know it and you posted it. It's, it's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. Thank you for your work. And then one, two. I don't know what time it is. responses lately. Um, I haven't read Coates' book, um, but uh, between, what is it again? Between, a, between the World and Us, and it's very popular. And um, I, I, I honor him for uh, bringing his voice and, um, and uh, his beautiful writing and his courage to, to speak out of uh, from one place on the continuum and from his place of where he is. I've read many other articles from him and I like that he does bring up uh, some issues within the political realm that uh, he kind of integrates various things like slavery and economy and those kinds of things. I, I do endure but I, I enjoy but um, I also uh, uh, know that he uh, is speaking from his own, um, you know, as a um, man of African descent, his own pain, and would like to invite him to come and sit with us, <laughs> do some zazen with that. Um, now that he is so awake to these places, um, to add to that, you know, this place of expansiveness, um, so that. Uh, he doesn't have to um, you know, leave the country, which is what I'm hearing <laughs> he might do, you know, become an expatriate. He did, yeah, see, expatriate and to go to France, you know, where there are more white people. And so, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> you know, I just think um, it's, it, it seems easier sometimes to move. I've thought about, you know, going to St. Croix. You know, St. Thomas <laughs> live on a black island or something, you know. And, um, you know, I know, it, you know, it's just a mind game because I know I'm not going really, not now at least, it may happen one day. But not for those reasons. I remember a teacher, I had a job in which the, um, the boss, she just would drive me nuts. I don't know, there was something about her that would just, she was a woman of color. And um, she would just like, wow. And um, <laughs> I, would, I said, I'm going to quit my job. I told one of, the, one of the, um, my teachers, I said, I, 
you know, just when she smiles, I get upset. You know, <laughs> when she's happy, I'm upset. So it's like, like, what is going on there, you know? And, um, and uh, I was steadily practicing, you know, the Dharma. Um, matter of fact, I was one of those people that I guess I must have talked about it a lot because they started calling me Confucius. In the, in the, in, so that was, that's bad, you know, really? You know, <laughs> start calling like, okay, I'm not even quoting Confucius yet. <laughs> you know, but anyway, I said, it was like a signal, but I didn't know then, but now I know. You know, when you just oh, constantly have this language, you know, that you use, we develop here. You know, you can almost hear it, you know, oh, that she's a Zen person. So um, <laughs> I think that um, the teacher told me, do not leave that job uh, because you are struggling with that woman, that particular person. Do not leave that job. And I was like, oh, God, I can't spend another day there. She says, go back, continue the job. And when you come up with a new vision for your life and a new call, that is the time you will leave the job. You know? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And so that you're, I wasn't leaving in anger and in rage. Because then everywhere I would go, if I got angry, I was going to leave the job, right? And so what she was trying to teach me was to expand my mind and to, that I wasn't in, in the right place anyway. I would just go to another, I used to work for foundations, um, private uh, and community foundations, grant-making grant institutions. And so, you know, I know a lot about grant-making and grant-receiving and writing and all that. I was a development uh, director for many nonprofits. So I just, um, I, I waited. You know, in the process, I got, you know, a $5,000. I said, well, if I have to stay here, I need more money. <laughs> so the first thing I did was run in and said, I need $5,000. She said, so sure. I said, oh, God, I should have asked for 10. <laughs> it was so quickly said yes. So, um, you know, I, 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 we need coats to stay, even with that, you know, to these people and um, to, uh, I mean, James Baldwin came back home when the civil rights, he, he left to France, but he came home when the civil rights movement was on because he's like, yeah, because he knew that his voice was needed, you know, in the movement. So I think that that's important to remember. So I, did I, oh yeah, two and then three. No, 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 no. Uh, time. Okay, all right. That is what time? We are about out of time now. We're out of time. Can we get one more question? Okay, one more question. I think your response to Pete's question was talking about um, trying to uh, perceive where one's speech and engagement is coming from. And this kind of relates to the subject that I brought up yesterday, that at least for me internally, at least for me personally, my internal experience isn't so dualistic. So, like both heart and ego are there at the same time. Um, most typically, you know, my, 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 my heart swells and wants to express itself, and then ego is like ready to take credit, you know? And, it, you know, I, I have to say, I think that just because ego is there, I don't think I, I should shut up and do nothing. I think like, oh, I'm just suppressing my heart. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, well, you shouldn't. I think that we talked yesterday not to suppress, not to suppress 
what you feel, you know, what you want to say and what you want to do. We can't really um, capture ego. We can't t take a lasso and and put, you know, <laughs> you come out when I say come out, you know, <laughs> you know. And so, and we can't really lasso our hearts either. So, you know, we can't even say, I want you to feel. When I say feel, feel, we can't do any of that. So, um, you know, if, if you feel you're being suppressed, you have to speak. You know, you have to speak. So I think that's important to, to remember, you know, if nothing else from all these talks and dialogues is to truly bring your voice out in the practice. It is a practice of silence, but it's also a practice of speaking and um, if, if it weren't, we wouldn't have these teachings. There would, no one would have taught us anything if Buddha was completely silent. He obviously wasn't. You know, there's like 83,000 sutras or something. <laughs> Not at all quiet person. <laughs> so let's remember that. Always speak. Okay. If I can just leave that with you. Okay. So um, we're going to get ready for service. Greg, you're going to do that for us? Okay, thank you, Greg are doing a service for us and um, so if you could move your oh but before that we got to do the chant the last chant thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive for more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org